international religious leader, philosopher, award-winning author, and biblical scholar, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of Great Britain, a position he served for 22 years, said the following. Almost exactly 26 centuries ago, a man not otherwise known for his positive psychology sat down to write a letter to his co-religionists in a foreign land. The man was Jeremiah. The people to whom he wrote were the Jews who had been taken captive to Babylon after their defeat at its hands, a defeat that included the destruction of Solomon's temple, the central symbol of their nation, and the sign that God was in their midst. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He is known and commonly referred to as the weeping prophet because he served God's people during some of the nation's darkest days, days that included apostasy, idolatry, moral decay, and perverted worship. These are the conditions under which Jeremiah lived and ministered. In the middle of all of that, God comes to Jeremiah to deliver a message to him where he said, Jeremiah, here's what I want for you. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to go and speak to the people who are living in apostasy and idolatry and moral decay and perverted worship. You're going to go and talk to them and deliver a message. And you're going to do this faithfully for 40 years. This is what I want for you. To which we would say, well, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? God came to Jeremiah and said, I have something specifically for you. God plus Jeremiah. It's going to turn out well. It is, right? Well, except that in response to his sermons that God gave to Jeremiah to deliver to the people, here's what happens. Jeremiah is beat. He's isolated and imprisoned. So he's doing exactly what God wants for him, but he's beat, isolated, and imprisoned. And so he weeps, which is understandable. This sounds like it's going to be a really uplifting day, doesn't it? Aren't you glad that you came to hear about a weeping prophet and apostasy and idolatry? Sounds like this might be a great Sunday to be down the shore instead of here. Well, not so fast, not so fast because God does deliver to Jeremiah a very unique plan and we're going to think through that plan because I think it impacts all of us as well. So what happens to God's people as a result of them not listening to God and not listening to the messages from Jeremiah over a 40-year period of time? What happens? Well, the Babylonian army arrives and carries away God's people into captivity because they failed to listen to God and to Jeremiah. God was certainly very patient with them. He gave them time to change. He even told them how they could and should do that. 
And he gave them a messenger, one of their own, who loved them and wanted God's best for them, but there was no change. So in come the Babylonians, and they carry God's people away from their homes, away from their land, and away from their temple, which was a really important thing for them in Old Testament times because that was the symbol of God's presence with them. The Babylonians come and take them away from all of that. Now they are exiles, they're living in a foreign land, and everything changes. There is a description of how God's people probably felt about this. We find it in Psalm 137. Here's what it says. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? How can we do that? How can we do that? It's interesting because most of us have never been exiled from our homes. It's just not something most of us have experienced no other power has come in and taken us out of our homes or taken us away from our land or removed us from our nation. It's hard to imagine that level of trauma because we haven't experienced that. Yet God's people did. So try to feel, as we talk through this, and as we think about the message that God gave to Jeremiah and the plan that he delivers, try to think about the sheer horror of being taken from your home and what that would feel like and what that would mean to you and how hopeless that would be. But in the middle of all that, God says there is hope. There is hope. It's how God delivers that hope through Jeremiah to the exiled people, that is a bit strange and I would say counterintuitive. So here's what God says through Jeremiah. And you can kind of fill in some blanks and speculate a little bit, although this isn't in the text. You can kind of imagine God saying, I know you want to go back home. And you're not home. You're in a different land. And you're weeping over all of that. And you long to be back in Jerusalem, your city. I know you want to rebuild the city and rebuild your homes. And I know you want to rebuild the temple, which is the picture and the symbol of God being with you. I know you want all of that. But here's what God said instead, and we find this in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting with verse 5. Here's what God says. Build homes and plan to stay. Oh my. Well, that's not what they want. They want to go back to their land, their nation, and rebuild and here God is saying, build homes and plan to stay here. And this is, what? What are you doing, God? And he goes on to say, oh, and do this as well. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, and here's why. 
for its welfare will determine your welfare. Interesting, isn't it? Build homes here. Don't think about going back home yet. Build homes and stay here and marry. Get married. (laughs) I just officiated a, a wedding yesterday evening. Weddings are always a time of joy. And it's an extreme celebration with great food and laughter and people coming together to celebrate two people giving their lives to each other. It is a celebration. And God is saying here, stay, build homes and celebrate. Have parties, get married. And God also encourages them to have sex, which is kind of interesting because I want you to produce and have many grandchildren. Do all of these things in this land. Do it here. Well, about Jeremiah 29, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says this. What Jeremiah was saying was that it is possible to survive in exile with your identity intact, your appetite for life undiminished, while contributing to the wider society and praying to God on its behalf. Jeremiah was introducing into history a highly consequential idea, the idea of a creative minority. For followers of Jesus, I think we may often feel like a creative minority. After all, this world is not our home. But yet we're encouraged in this place and in our communities and in our cities to work for the peace and prosperity of them for its welfare will determine our welfare. But often it feels like we are a creative minority. So what should we do about this? What do we do when we feel like a creative minority because this world is not our home? Well, we have some options. We can run and hide and ignore it. Like it's not really happening even though it is happening, but we can try to ignore it. Or we can cloister in groups with other like-minded individuals. Or we can weep, like Jeremiah, we can cry over it, and I'm sure that happens occasionally. Or we can do what Jeremiah stated for his people in their day. We can work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you, And we can pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, here's what's fascinating about all of this as I was studying and thinking about the virtue and also considering what Jeremiah shared with his people. I do believe there is a way for we as apprentices of Jesus as a creative minority, I do believe there is a way for us to work for the peace and prosperity of the cities around us. And I believe it is found in living out the virtues that we have been discussing. These virtues really do matter. They matter deeply for followers of Jesus. They're more than just a great idea. And I think in living these virtues, we do have a great 
potential to become rooted in Jesus Christ and to allow our roots to grow down into him, which is our theme and our desire as a church to let our roots grow down into Christ. These virtues will help us accomplish that. So far, we have looked at six virtues. I'm sure you remember them all, but let me just say them to remind you. Love, joy, peace, hope, self-control. And last week, we talked about something that is not a lot of fun, but desperately needed in all of our lives, and that is patience. There is something very unique about this seventh virtue that I think dynamically will help us become rooted in Christ, and also help us to work for the peace and prosperity of our cities and our communities. And that is the virtue of kindness. Kindness. As followers of Jesus, I am convinced that we must get really good at the virtue of kindness. That we have to get really good at this and improve on wherever we think we may be today. Like perhaps you think I'm a really kind person, that's me. Well, that's great, but there's always room for growth. And as followers of Jesus, we have to get better at this. When thinking about kindness, we can describe and define it this way. To be kind means to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them in order to be kind to others. I need to put myself in their shoes and think what I would most want or need them to do for me and then do it for them. Kindness seems very close to what Jesus meant when he said that we should do for others whatever we wish others would do for us. Here's our big idea for today, and I would encourage you to take out your talk notes and fill in some blanks now so you can come back to this content and think about it throughout the week. Here's our big idea. Kindness matters, and it should be a virtue we purposely seek to grow in all of our interactions, not just some interactions or not just most, but I think kindness is a virtue that we should seek as apprentices of Jesus to grow in all of our interactions. So with that as a backdrop, Jeremiah, God's people being carried away into exile, and you stay right here. You work for the peace and prosperity of the city because its success depends on your success. All of that and thinking about these different virtues because it is possible for us to take all of this and specifically the virtue of kindness and weave that into our interactions so that we are working for the peace and prosperity of our communities. I think there is a way to do this. So with that as the backdrop, please, with your Bible or your device, join me in the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. While you're finding that, let me provide a little bit of context from this book. Colossians is an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul to God's holy people living in the city of Colossae. And he wrote this somewhere in 60 or 61 AD. 
Colossae was a minor city located about 100 miles east of Ephesus, which you can see on the maps. It was also located in the region of the seven ancient churches, which you can read about in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Colossae was once a populous center of commerce, but by the time of Paul, it was probably eclipsed by the neighboring cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis, which you can see on the map here as well. So it's likely that the city of Colossae was on the decline as Paul shares these words. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter 3, writing to God's holy people living in this particular location. And these words are appropriate for us as well. So here's what he says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, here's what I want you to do. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Remember, because earth is not our real home. So since you've been raised to new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul is really encouraging them here with the words of, you have been raised to new life in Christ. That's what verse 1 says. You have a new reality because you have life in Christ and it's new and dynamic. These are just glorious thoughts that are true for us as well. Paul then goes on to touch on their behavior, like here are some things to avoid, but then here is something to consider, and this is what Paul says in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy You say the word with me? Kindness. Yeah, here's our virtue. So since God chose you to be holy, set-apart people, I want you to clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and add to that kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. I want to look at just a few words coming out of this text Do you see the phrase in verse 12, clothe yourselves? Do you see that? It actually here in the construction of the sentence means to sink into the garment of, which is a wonderful picture, right? Like think of your favorite robe or your favorite hoodie or sweatshirt or whatever. And when you put that thing on, you kind of just sink into it and it feels good. That's the picture we have here of these traits and kindness is one of them. Sink into the garment. Think of it as your favorite item to wear and when you have it on, there is joy and comfort. Sink into the garment. That's the idea of clothe yourselves. In verses eight through nine, which we did not read, Paul listed six different vices. I'll share them with you. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. 
And the encouragement is don't sink into those garments, which we often do because we're human and we fall short. But the challenge here is don't put those things on. Don't clothe yourselves with that. In contrast, God's holy chosen people are dearly loved and they are to put on the garment or sink into the garment of the one thing we want to focus on from this list is kindness. And this word here comes from a Greek word that means goodness or uprightness. So we could paraphrase Colossians 3.12 this way. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must sink into the garment of kindness, of goodness. So this is our great challenge today, isn't it? If you don't hear anything else, you can walk out of here knowing, okay, this is what God wants for me in a new week. I am to sink into the garment. I am to put on, I am to clothe myself as a follower of Jesus with kindness with goodness. Sometimes when we think about kindness and goodness, it seems too simplistic. Like, really, that's what God wants for me? Just to be kind, to be good? And the answer to that is yes. We find this encouragement and challenge throughout the pages of Scripture. Put this on. Sink into this garment. Clothe yourselves with kindness. The word for kindness in Colossians 3.12 is the same word that we see in Galatians 5.22 where we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. That includes love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. It's the same word. It means goodness and uprightness. Now, I will say this is not the first time that we as a church have talked about kindness. A few years ago, we had a whole theme that was called the kindness challenge. And we have come back to this over and over and over again and the extreme need for kindness in an unkind world. I think we need to keep lifting this up. I do. And I think we have to keep challenging ourselves and challenging each other to be kind because I believe God is calling our church to extend kindness in every possible way with our shortcomings. That is true. But I believe God is calling Valley Point up into extending kindness in all of our interactions because it can, and indeed it already has, made a significant difference. And in small ways, as we do that, where we live, work, and play, Right? Kindness at home? <laughs> it should begin there. Kindness at work? With all of those characters and individuals? Kindness at school? Kindness where we play? In small ways. When we do this, we are working for the peace and prosperity of our cities and our communities. 
So I want to share three takeaways with you, and I'm going to pull these from Randy Frazee's book, Think, Act, and Be Like Jesus, as we consider being a creative minority and taking this virtue of kindness, which I think can dynamically help us to work for the peace and prosperity of our cities and communities. Here are three helpful takeaways. Number one, out of a pure heart to do the right thing for others. Seek to build others up. And I think in particular, we need to build up the people that we disagree with in life. And one of the ways we can do that is by extending kindness. So who's the irritant in your life? Who's the problem, so to speak? Who is that individual that you don't agree with a little bit here and there or maybe a lot? And some of you are elbowing the person next to you. You really should avoid doing that. Who is the irritant? Well, out of a pure heart to do the right thing for others. Seek to build that person up with kindness. Just consider that throughout the week. Number two, out of a pure heart to do the right thing for others. Do not pay back evil for evil. We find this in Romans chapter 12, where it talks specifically about those who we may disagree with or those that we have challenges with in life don't seek to pay back evil for evil. Let God take care of all of that. I think we take Romans chapter 12 with what we find here in Colossians chapter 3 with put on or sink into the garment of kindness and don't pay back evil for evil because that's a vicious cycle that has no end. Be a cycle breaker with that and extend kindness instead. Number three, out of a pure heart to do the right thing for others. Let us defy how people normally act with bountiful demonstrations of kindness. So I think we all understand because we have experienced it ourselves that the world is not necessarily a kind place. I believe there is a Rocky quote about that. I will spare you the quote because we know this to be true. The world is not a kind place. So what would it look like if a small group of people, if Valley Point Church, a creative minority said, you know what, out of a pure heart to do the right thing for others, even if it's difficult and even if I don't want to do this, and even if it doesn't feel like the best thing to do, I will defy how I normally choose to act and how the world acts, and I will give bountiful demonstrations of kindness. What could happen in our cities and in our communities if we took it upon ourselves to take this virtue, this fruit of the Spirit, this demonstration of people who follow Jesus, they act this way. What if we sought to get just a little bit better at the virtue of kindness this week? Well, I think it would make an amazing difference. And in doing that, we would be working for the peace and the prosperity of the city's and the communities around us, which is a good thing because its welfare determines 
our welfare. May God give us just an amazing week of getting a little bit better at the virtue of kindness. And may God help us to purposely grow kindness in all of our interactions, knowing that this will help us in small ways and in big ways. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the cities and communities around us. May God give us the courage to take kindness everywhere throughout our week. Father, we are thankful for this moment to just consider the words of Colossians chapter 3 and what we have read in Jeremiah and the challenge that God gave to people who probably didn't want to be where they were, but he encouraged them to stay and build, to celebrate, and to work towards peace. God, I believe we have that same opportunity in front of us and working towards peace. Many different ways to do that. One of the ways we can accomplish that is with kindness. So God, would you help me to extend kindness in all of my interactions this week? Even when I have to speak truth in love or say challenging things, help me to do that with kindness. And my confession to you is, I don't always act this way. So help me. Help me to do that. And God, I just pray over everyone in this room and everyone watching online that you would help us wherever you take us throughout the week to think about kindness and extending that in all of our interactions. God, I believe we may be tested in this throughout the week and that's never fun. So when we feel rage burning inside of us, when we're ready to lash out, when we're ready to speak truth without love because someone deserves it and needs it. Help us to remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, sink into the garment of kindness. Help us to put that on and take on the attitude of Jesus. And God, we know as we do that, you will bless and you will use us to make a difference. So help us. Help us all. Help Valley Point Church to go out of here and get a little bit better with the virtue of kindness. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Will you stand with me?